Hello, and welcome to episode 174 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Nixon, your host as always, and with me today is uh, one half of the co-host crew. It's uh, Ricardo Benavides. Ricardo, welcome back to the show. Thanks for, co- for joining me today. Oh, you bet, Jeremy. It's good to be here again. And I hope Brandon bu- couldn't squeeze us into his schedule, so... Well, you know, yeah. kids, wife, work. Yeah, I know. I know. So I just like to give him a hard time. Yeah. Um... But yeah, no, we uh, yeah, got a, another great episode today. I'm I'm really excited about it. I don't think we're gonna carry on too long in the intro because this inter- this might be the longest interview I've done. Um, I'm not sure. It's like an hour and twenty minutes or so. So it's uh, very informative, though. Um, we we it's I got to, well worth the listen, everybody. It is, yes, yeah. So, listen, check it out, especially um, for those that are newly injured. Yeah. And there's stuff for people that are long-time injured and then able-bodied people like me. Absolutely. You know? So. Yeah, no, this guy. So it's uh, Robert Rohan, Bobby Rohan, uh, as, as we called him on the podcast. Like that's what goes. Friends call him Bobby, so we yeah. call him Bobby. Uh, no, he uh great guy. Um, I He's part of the Live to Roll uh, crew there with Sean Fluke and, and those guys. Um and I went on their podcast a while ago. Uh, we had some little bit of technical difficulties. Like it kept getting cut off, but uh, it went pretty well. And it was fun to, to join those guys. But uh, yeah, he's he's been, he's about 10 years further along than me in this injury, which you know, I feel like I'm one of the OGs of this whole thing. <laughs> it seems like sometimes, but yeah, he's been at it for, for a while. Um, and just like what inspirational guy um yeah I, I could truly relate to his life before and uh, not so much afterwards but before his accident you know he was a road uh racer bicyclist right. yeah road and, with like lance arms was like yeah you know, i had a friend steven miller who was a big road rice racer and uh, actually um i was telling you it kind of triggered an accident i had one late uh spring night when i was out riding my bike and came around a blind corner down a hill and there was a car parked in the road and I hit it and um, luckily I didn't get injured but it did total my brand new Raleigh uh, that I had and uh, so I mean I could when he told that story (laughs) I was like oh yeah but let's 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 get to the uh, to the interview and and uh, and then we'll catch you guys on the other side but it's a it's a great interview a great yep. story of triumph. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the interview here and talk to you guys on the other side of it. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, I am excited to uh, speak with Robert Rohan. He's a husband, a father, spinal cord injury survivor. He's one of the co-hosts of the Live to Roll podcast. Uh, or YouTube show, I guess, uh, coach at Staying Driven. He's a peer mentor, and uh, he's on the board of directors for the Triumph Foundation. Uh, Robert, welcome to the show. And I know, I guess, everybody calls you Bobby, so I'll go, I'll call you Bobby yeah. from now on. But <laughs> how you Not doing, a problem. man? I'm good, man. Thanks. Good, good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we were able to to make this happen. Appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, for anybody that doesn't already know your story, uh, you know, how did you suffer a spinal cord injury? Uh, my spinal cord injury was 34 years ago. I was 17. I was an athlete. I started young at playing sports, baseball, the, you know, the typical kid stuff. Moved into a lot of racquetball then. Met a girl in junior high that was on the swim team. Of course, 
I had to go join the swim team and uh, she was like, oh, if you're going to do this, I don't want to get away from me. So, but I stuck with, I stuck with the swimming and I was like, I'm not going to let that bug me. I'm going to prove her wrong. And I, you know, luckily I stayed and uh, uh, stayed with swimming for, I think four years, made it to junior Olympics. And uh, from there we moved down to, I, at that time I was up in uh, Oregon and we finally moved down to California and I didn't get quite into swimming again right away. Uh, I did some junior lifeguarding, but just didn't get into the swimming for, I think I was just trying to find my balance here in California as a, I think we, I was 14 and I'm like trying to figure this stuff out. Like, you know, I didn't know people spoke another language in our country. You know, that's how naive we were up in Ben Oregon. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, you don't have Hispanics, you don't, you know, you don't have a lot of culture up there. And so when I got down here, my mom said, hey, read that sign. I think we were getting our shots for school. And I'm just like, uh, why can't I read that? She's like, it's in Spanish. I'm like, what? People think, no, we're in, we're in California. Though. Don't we speak uh, English? Here? No, people speak different. You know, so it, it was a culture shock for me. And right. My mom and dad were from here, so they knew the lay of the land. But I, you know, they gave me no directions that this is going to be a different lifestyle. So I got into back into racquetball again and then got bored with that real quick. Indoors, playing, a, you know, a fun sport. But I wanted, you know, I love the outdoors. And, you know, when I was young, I had a paper route. So I did a lot of bicycle and thank God, a friend of mine who I played racquetball with, we became really close. His sister's boyfriend was going out to Arizona to do a triathlon. And I'm like, you know, they asked me if I wanted to go. I wanted to go so bad. And I would have to miss school for a day, which was a big deal to my mom for some reason. And But my dad's like, yeah, you should have these experiences. So one day all right maybe i missed monday too i don't remember but so i got to go and i got to see this triathlon and i was like that's what i want i'm a swimmer i love riding my bike i rode my bike everywhere you know when you're a kid back in the day not like now you got to ride your bike everywhere especially up in oregon I mean, everywhere i rode my bike you know i rode it to school i rode it for my paper route i rode it to my friends and we didn't live close to everybody so there was a little truck for me and i had a good little 10 speed at the time and got me everywhere i wanted and so i was like and anybody can run which i thought and so i started out doing triathlons and from there it took off like i was in love um Thank God my dad had just won a, a nice little racing bike, a Schwinn bike, uh, on one of their topper lines from work. So it was just perfect. Got back into swimming right away. Excelled, you know, quick where the coach was like, you're swimming high school, you know that. And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, I just don't, and I told him I don't want to do swim meets. I, that's why I think I didn't go back to swimming is swim meets are so boring. You know, you swim your event and then you wait for an hour for your next event. It's just like, oh, right. <laughs> and everybody's eating. 
all these kids are eating junk food and I'm just, I wasn't into junk food. I, you know, uh, never, I just not a big junk food junkie. And so I just said, I don't want to do swimmings. That's all. He's like, you have to do two for me a year. So I'm like, okay. And you have to swim on the swim team for high school. I'm like, okay. Um, excelled fast, excelled fast in the triathlon world. Um, I got to the top of my uh, triathlon uh, age group division, uh, recognized as uh, the top 10 in America, top wow. five in California, because there was five of us that roamed, you know, pretty quick. The number one guy, though, was not a California. It was a, it was a Texan guy by the name of Lance Armstrong. Oh, damn. So, yeah. Wow. So that's, you know. Um, reading everything I can about Lance Armstrong, he was, he was like a few days older than me, and I wanted to be inspired after him. And I just happened to get up to, I think I'm going on where I could explain my accident real quick, but uh, getting into like the history of uh, of it, and once we get to the the accident, is really kind of like a, a downer, but right, right. not a downer. It's just like anticlimactic, I should say, but. I went and did this uh, triathlon in Utah and I got to go live with some uh, professional uh, triathletes for, for three weeks or a month. It was some, you know, it was a long time where we stayed in the dorms and had the time of my life riding with these guys, swimming every morning at the crack of dawn, running at night. You know, it was just amazing. The thing is we ran out of money. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. We read in the paper that there's uh, a bike race that they're paying uh, 18 and older and 18 and under. And that's you have to take first place, 500 bucks each. So we're like, let's go out there and let's win this race. It was like a three hour drive. We drove out there. My buddy wins the 18 and over like no problem. And for me. I had one kid that gave me one competition. Him and I broke away. And at the end, we sprinted to the end and I won that. So that fed us. We went and saw Roger Rabbit after that. And from there, I got back the next day to the Heritage. It's called where the triathlon was about to be run in a few days. And Lance Armstrong and one top triathlete, um, Mike Pick, said, you got to start riding. You are an excellent rider. We heard all about you. Um, we're following you. You got to meet this guy, Greg. He's part of the U.S. cycling team. That's where Lance is headed. You'll get going. So Greg gave me a call uh, later that summer, said, finish up your, uh, you know, your senior year, and you're coming out to Colorado. Unfortunately, and then uh, sometime over the fall, um, everything was going on plan. I just was really riding a lot. Um, the spring was almost hit, started swimming on the swim team. I was captain and March 27th, you know, it was a Monday. Uh, my coaches, cycling coach and running coaches like, no, nothing on Mondays. That's your rest day. You know, if you want to go to the gym, you can go to the gym. And it was, I got out at school at 1230 and I got home and I'm like, it is a gorgeous day. 
I'll just go out on my bike and spin a little bit. And spinning is you're in a low gear, you're just spinning, you know, and not efforting it at all, but it helps warm and keep the legs, you know, with uh, muscle memory. And so I just got out there and did that. And I was supposed to said, I'll do 12 miles. And it was a loop of four miles. And so after three, I was coming down. I said, one more loop, one more loop. And turn right. And my faith in about a half a mile, there was a bus parked in the bike lane. And uh, I don't remember the accident. I got to the stoplight where the bus was about a thousand feet ahead, maybe 2000 feet, um, parked to get a taco at Taco Bell. I remember the light was red because I looked over, saw my, uh, place of work, which was subway at the time. And my best friend was working there and said, I said to myself, Hey, <laughs> this is great. I'm out here riding. He's in there working. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, I can't wait to tell him. And this is before you can text anybody just right then and there. Right. So, so all of a sudden the light turns green. That's all I remember. Uh, what witnesses say that as soon as I was coming to approach the bus, I was about to go around and some brown station wagon decided to cut over and almost hit me. And everybody noticed I jammed back into the bike lane to avoid the car. And there was the back of the bus. And I put my head down, stopped, endowed into the bus real fast. Um, and my neck snapped back and broke my C5-6 vertebrae. Oh, man. Uh, that's, you know, this is like one of the, um, you know, I've had a few people on that, um, like Paul Bassigoidia, who was kind of on top of like the mountain biking world when he got injured. Um, but like you're, I mean, yeah, like we could be talking about you, like the next Lance Armstrong, if you don't suffer that injury, that's gotta be. Um, yeah. You know, I think back to that, you know, just like what could be, you know, you know, the number one thing I always kind to tell myself but what happened if on March 28th, and the accident never happened, March 28th comes around, and I do something to my knee, and my knee's never the same. Right. You know, what? what's what's worse? That's true. The knee yeah. that agonizes you where you could have been, or something that I know I couldn't have been because of this accident, you know? It kind of reinsures me, like, okay, you broke your neck, you're paralyzed, there's nothing you can do about it, but move forward with your new life. Right. And that's, you know, that's the attitude. I kind of, I didn't have that right away, obviously. I mean, I thought, I mean, in ICU for three weeks going, okay, it's March. By the time I start getting movement, get stronger, I'll do Catalina Triathlon as a stepping stone as getting back into it. And, you know, and everybody's looking around going, man, don't want to say no to me. Oh, yeah, you know, like get to rehab, and then as you know, back in the day, I don't know what you had for rehab, but six months was my rehab. Yeah, and that's now, what I was going to ask you next. Yeah, yeah. Six so months. You, go ahead, go ahead. So you stay yeah. you're in there for six months. Then I was at Northridge Hospital for six months. I did my ICU at Kaiser, and Ki- luckily Kaiser didn't know what to do with me, and so they sent me over to Northridge. It was either Rancho. Or Northridge, but Northridge was closer for my uh, parents. My parents, my mom worked right next door in the medical building. 
So it just made sense. And my dad worked, you know, about five miles down the, or maybe even three at um, Budweiser as electrician. So it just kind of made sense that, you know, I'd be there, not Rancho, where everybody was like, that's the place. But I got everything great. I love Northridge. I love the people and it was home to me. Um, so, yeah, I got six months. Okay. What? But uh... in that, go ahead. Yeah, what was the so Rancho was already known as like a pretty elite um, rehabilitation hospital down there in Southern California at the time. Oh yeah, yeah. And how how much further? Like, what was the distance like between Northridge and and Rancho for like would it put it like a lot quite a bit of uh, extra travel? Yeah, it would have been. Parents? I think yeah, on my parents, yeah, it more more so of traffic than anything, and you know they would probably only been able to come on the weekends one day a week. Yeah. So, you know, where after work, my mom came in and checked on me or checked on me in the morning and brought me a breakfast burrito or something, you know, because I would not eat the hospital food. I would not touch it. <laughs> um, so I ate off my parents. Um, and then luckily, I always had great roommates that had family that did the same. So we were living large and it was college to me. My rehab was like college. We had video games. We had two VCRs. We had the girls' posters on top of our ceiling. Um, it, it was to me, and we had a fridge, a mini fridge. So, and you know, drawer full of everything. People, my friends would just keep dropping off stuff, and it was just like, you know, one time I said, I just feel like Pringles, and my friends bought me every single flavor of Pringles at the time, and one time, and then I said bubble gum ones, and they brought me every single type of bubble gum. And gum, and so they're like anything, and I'm like, no, no, because if I say something, you're gonna bring everything of it. So <laughs> that's too funny. Um, so you know, getting out of the once you go through this six months, so yeah, I mean, if so, you get injured in May, you said, then you're not March, yeah, March. March, sorry, March. Um, yeah. so you're not out of the hospital till almost what September, October, then. October. The I got like the last day of September, and then October. First was the next day, and I was home for a week, and I went to Hawaii that week after I got out of rehab. Yeah, that's uh, that's a ball. Yeah, that's a ballsy move, man. Like that. I mean, I I remember how like in shock I was coming home from the hospital and kind of getting out of that that hospital bubble there, where you you know you kind of insulated um, with people mm -hmm. able to help you at the drop of a hat. Like you you just went for it, huh? So I, I mean, did so coming home, um, did you like go like on a weekend pass or something home prior to getting out to like make yeah, sure I you got could a get couple, around? Yeah, I had a couple uh, weekends staying at the house, discovered like I was a big water guy, uh, waterbed guy. Uh -huh. And, you know, I thought like, I, no, I want my waterbed, you know, when I go home, you know, got home one afternoon, tried to lay on it. And, this is impossible. No. Yeah. Scratch that idea because I built like my own waterbed frame where it was like, I don't know, like I had it like about four or five feet off the ground. So it was like all these dressers and cupboards yeah. and full of bike crap and, you know, just storage. And my dad kept saying, don't stop adding layers because I kept bringing home layers of uh, and took like my brother. My brother didn't want a waterbed anymore. So I took his and, uh, <laughs> or he got a bigger one because of. Uh, his room was bigger and uh, could have had uh, that. It was the guest room when guests were over uh, for my parents. Oh, gotcha. 
Gotcha. So did your did you guys have to make any renovations in the house to like be able to get you back in once you came home from the hospital? Not a lot. I didn't have a real accessible shower, but we didn't really have to do much. You know, it was ramp the front, which there was only one step going into the front. So it was pretty easy to pave something and um, ramp it. And then um, I don't remember if we added I had to switch rooms with my brother, which I did. I loved the small room. I loved my small. I was all the way in the back and just felt like nobody would bug me back in the day. So I had to move into the bigger room, um, which was fine. And um, I don't remember. We added a sink. That was ridiculous. They called it a handicap sink where it sticks out all the way to here under your lap. But the faucet's all the way forward. So you're just like reaching yeah, far forward to wash your hands or brush your every time you spit it's like right there and you're like i can't get you have to splash the water to run the you know that down the drain right right no doubt <laughs> that's crazy yeah uh so you know once I, I was gonna ask what you know what the transition home was like for you um and if you so were you did you have to go back and finish high school then um since you got hurt did say where you were when you were 17 so like your senior year like where are you at in high school at that point do you have to go back and finish um like how did that all work for you so i went to a school that was pretty inaccessible accessible and not uh they went and allowed me to have a key um i did home or i had a tutor that came twice or three times a week into my rehab through the whole time through summer. And at the end, she's just like, you passed your, your GD. Here you go. You're done. You know, so I finished a year early. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, so you do get out of the hospital though. And I wanted to touch on the, the Hawaii trip thing. So you said a week yeah. after you get home, you're, you're on a plane to Hawaii. Like, who do you go with? I mean, um, well, I went you, with my parents. Get together? Yeah, it was uh, it was a fundraiser of my friends who were my in my cycling club um, or triathlon club at the time, and they raised the money for me to go. And there was a gentleman in my triathlon uh, club that was gonna. It, we went for the Hawaiian Ironman, oh, so okay. we went to go watch uh, the biggest race at the time for triathlons. And he was going to do the triathlon in my name. So it was kind of like an honor to go there and experience this. So um, first we went to Waikiki for, I think, two days on Pearl Harbor. Uh, my a friend of mine that my dad met um, and he, my dad friended him and said, hey, my, you know, my son just had an accident and is a quad and my friend Tommy Hollenstein at the time said, no, you know, I'm a quad too. And he lived right down the street from me. We went to, I don't know if we went to the same high school, but you know, it was, um, he told him, you know, we're going to Hawaii. So Tommy said, you have to do this parasailing. You sit down and take off from the boat and it's amazing. So we did that in Waikiki, thanks to Tom Hollenstein. Um, and it's funny because we live pretty close and, He's in a power chair with a dog. I'm in a manual chair with no dog. Everybody was like, hey, Tommy. And I'm like, how do you, I, you know, yeah, he's got spiky white hair, tall, 
you know, he sits up real tall with the dog. I mean, but it was always funny. It just it would uh, make me laugh over the years of everyone recognizing me as Tommy Allenstein. Um, and then we went over to the Big Island for uh, for the triathlon. But a few days before, we went to go swim with the dolphins. Uh, we did a helicopter ride. And then the two nights before the race, there was a big parade. I was in the parade as representing California. Uh, my oh, friend, oh, cool. my best friend went with me from uh, high school. So I had my best friend with me and all these other friends that um, joined and, you know, a couple of them doing it. And uh, the day of the Ironman, um, I heard stories like, oh, you know, you know, the top guy finishes just under or just over eight hours. But we wait all the way until midnight uh, for the last runner. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait to do that. But by the end of once my friends finished, um, got, you know, he gave me the medal that I have up somewhere around here. And I just said, I think I need to go lay down. And from there on, I was not the same person. I was spent, toast, done. The next day, I could barely move. I think I stayed in bed most of the day until the award ceremony ceremony dinner and um and on the way home from uh from hawaii the whole flight i was just like felt sick as a dog you know like all the energy out of me and my best friend's sleeping and i'm just kept trying to wake him up and talking to him he's like just go to sleep and i'm like yeah but i feel like too, i felt so crappy i couldn't even sleep and so uncomfortable, you know, your first flight um, um, as a quad, it's not very comfortable. And then it never has been. So I'm just like, come on, wake up. But got home, rested, and then had some time off. I went back to rehab and then started a program, which at the time was in Pacific Palisades called the Walker Institute. And it was, you went there five days a week. Uh, for eight hours a day and it was intense rehab you got to do everything ot pt you know weightlifting, uh balance skills learn to transfer you know and it was it's kind of like your um what are those now um uh, like next steps like the next step but next step you have to you know you, you only go for a certain amount of time for a couple of hours right twice a week or three. this was an intense um, and I started that in after the beginning of in 1990 or yeah, 1990 of March. So pretty much a year after my injury. And okay. by the time I left there, I was able to transfer on my own. And I was going just on Fridays and Saturdays at the very end, driving myself. Wow. So, yeah, wow, that's very cool. Um, and where, so how long did you run that? And what was it called one more time though? It was called the Walker Institute. Walker Institute. Okay. And it was by uh, this husband and wife, but the gal who run it uh, had her license was, her name was Dr. Walker. So hence the Walker Institute, okay. um, which I almost got kicked out a few times because by then I, I was really 
I've always been kind of realistic about eventually that I don't think I'm going to walk again. You know, this is, there's, there's not, I'm not feeling anything. I don't have any movement. I think this is going to be a long haul. And I think that's what I wanted to get out of the Walker Institute where a lot of people were going there to get into the leg braces, the AFOs, the KFOs. And there was people from all across, you know, all the way back to from North Carolina, New York, um, and Florida coming out to this. And at the time, it was either you went to the Petrofi uh, Center or the Walker Institute. And that's what everybody was going for the East End to try to walk again. I was going there for independence. That's all I wanted. And that's all I begged for. And we compromised a couple of times. They put me in, you know, um, KFOs, stood me up in between the parallel bars. And they're like, isn't this great? Don't you want to do this all the time? And I'm like, this is not practical. <laughs> this, yeah, if, if this my aide who's with me all the time and we stretch out for an hour, that is not practical in a life. I want to go back to college or I want to start to college. I want to have a job. I love working and I want to go enjoy life. But this this is not life. This is, you know, to me, rehab was not life. It was fun. And I felt like, you know, I, I put my goals just like I did before my accident. And I think that's why I had an easy transition because I was an athlete before. And I accepted right away that I'm going to be an athlete after, but as a quadriplegic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question for you, too, is, you know, what um, like how long after after the injury are you able to to kind of get back? So I know um, just from like reading your bio and stuff, you've tried a bunch of sports and and been an athlete for a long time, um, an adaptive athlete for a long time. So what what was kind of the first thing that that you got back into, and and how long after after the injury was it? Yeah, everybody always asks me. That's the number one question, and uh, guys in rehab that ask me um, how long, and I say two years. Give it two years to really find your footing in life as a spinal cord injury or somebody with a disability. If you were, you know, able-bodied before and then something happens after two years, you okay. should be, you know, finding out, you know, what really is going on with your body. Listen to your body. Right. And that's for that. It was for me. So I don't, I know other people have some, you know, other issues, head issues, um, don't still want this kind of life and it takes a lot longer. Um, but to get some, a lot of the independence and in what you know is what you're going to be for the next, you know, five years, um, 10 years. And then now it's for me, 34, five, four year, 34 years. So it just, I say two years. And by then I was now driving finally. And I went back to the rehab and spoke with my rec therapist. And I said, hey, you showed me this sport called murder ball once that they play up in Canada. I want to play that. Can we start a team? And she's like, absolutely. Let's go. So they I were only played. they were only doing quad rugby in Canada at the time? At the time when she showed me this video uh, a couple of years earlier, okay. I think it was. But now... Southern California was flooded with it. Oh, wow. And yeah. so the following, I think, six months later, I can't remember how long, but next thing I know, I 
you know, recruiting some people. She knows people. My therapist uh, happened when she was a PTA, met her husband, who was a incomplete quad. And uh, we recruited him, got him on the team. So he was our best player for a while. Um, And we... um, we went out there and um, made some headway. And at the time for quad rugby in Southern California, there was Santa Barbara, us, Casa Colina, Rancho, Oceanside, and San Diego. Wow. So, so the, the oh, and I even think there was one other hospital, some memorial hospital. Okay. Long Beach Hospital. Long Beach had a, a, a team, if I'm not mistaken. There was eight teams in the league. So that was a blast. I and I mean, it just opened, it opened new eyes and discovering, you know, this was the perfect setting to gain more independence. You know, I'm trying to still figure out a lot of shit. Um, excuse my language. And, you know, one was my leg back and i'm like excuse me can you uh empty my leg bag and the guys who heard this are like just empty it yourself and i'm like but that twist is so hard no you get one of these uh, leg bags um you, you clean them every night you don't throw them away and it's got this lever that you open up and piss out the side okay. and you can wear shorts and so i'm like what and I, you know, when I moved to Southern California, pants I did not wear once in a great while. But when I discovered shorts, uh, up in Oregon, we would have maybe a month of Friday's short day. And, but in Southern California, they didn't care what you wore. And so I was a shorts guy and I, and to this day, still am. And if I'm not going to work, um, like when I worked at Rancho for 10 years where I was, the only thing that made me miserable was wearing pants. And my boss knew it too. She was just like, I know I'm so sorry. It's all good. Um, and, but I did that's And so now, you know, when I see guys with their leg bag on their leg, wearing shorts down below on their calf, I'm just like, there's an easier way. Look. And I know that a lot of guys have switched over and some guys are just like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, I do, but. Um, you know that's your prerogative yeah um, so but it was quad rugby and it opened my eyes and um i played for 20 years had a little um time off um after 15 i think or something like that and got back when i moved down here after i met my wife i moved down here and connected with a team i played i think my last three years um with a team and not the Northridge Knights that I played with for so long. And still to this day, so happy that that rugby team is still going um, and it's going strong. And I think there's one other team in San Diego now, and that's it for Southern California for quad rugby. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot of guys, if they want to play on a different team, they go to Vegas or they oh. go to Reno or gotcha. uh, the Bay Area. Okay. And I think I've been a guy transferred to Washington once, one of our buddies. You know, oh, places. nice. Yeah, I know uh, the guy that was my, you know, I got injured while I was still in high school. And uh, 
up here he was uh he was a quadriplegic and he was my tutor when i was uh when i was going through uh having to finish up high school uh and he was big into quad rugby as well and was showing me videos and and telling me about that it was pretty wild um so he was big time into that as well uh Mm -hmm. So what, you know, did you try any other sports? I mean, what, uh, I know, I, I'm pretty sure I saw that you do a lot of hand cycling and stuff like that as well, or have over the years. Um, you know, what kind of, what are your, what are some of your so, favorite sports? Yeah. So, you know, started playing quad rugby, then started, Hey, I want to get a, a racing chair. You know, I love, I love that aspect of, you know, doing five K's. And so I purchased a racing chair and I got a hand bike and I'm like you know I think this is gonna work you know it's a transfer where I don't have to get down low like some of the bikes that were coming out um I'm still sitting upright but you still have to do a transfer and those two sports um I tried I went out and did some 5ks and I went out and did um some biking around my my neighborhood and at the time you know one of my goals was to ride past on my hand cycle past where i had my injury you know that that taco bell and you know eventually i did but they were not practical um the hand cycle was you know it was hard i had these you know the gears were up here and i had to use my chin and you know and and i made my own dowels of uh that we take to the gears that went up. And so a lot of times I kept hitting my nose on it. And um, when you're at a stop sign, you're not in the right gear, you're just screwed. And so you have to, you know, it just give me a little push so I can get going. And so it made it frustrating. And then the only time I could use it was really when my dad was around and I said, Hey, can you help me transfer? I cannot do that transfer on my own. Um, it was, I tried, I gave it, you know, thinking like it would, and that when I bought, I'm like, oh, I transferred into my van. I'll be able to transfer into that bike. It was a whole different setup. Right. And, uh, and still, I never transferred into my own rugby chair. I don't know how guys, hey, I'm always to the C5, six guys that transfer. I, I give my hat off to you. I just, the, my transfer technique was not geared for that like uh uh sean fluke mike de young out there those guys are just freaking amazing and the other guys that i've seen I'm like you're a 0.5 and you just got in there yourself bravo yeah you know? i mean yeah, a lot that's... of people call me super quad but you know hats off to those two um uh so i you know i give it up to them but so i didn't really get into it like i wanted to um then i tried tennis um that's a joke. If you don't have a power chair for a quad, um, yeah. you're just watching the ball go by you about 15 times. <laughs> um, I went to our uh, my racquetball club that we belonged to. Um, luckily, my dad was a longtime member there, so I didn't have to pay. But once in a while, I tried the um, racquetball out. And when I volunteered for the rec therapy program at Northridge, uh, we would take patients over to the racquetball club and let them try racquetball and oh, okay. let try tennis and all these different kind of sports. And she would always at, call me and like, 
hey, I'm going to take these guys out. Can you know, can you inspire them a little bit? And uh, we have this one of my excellent friends, Anthony Arifache. He was a para. He was a whiner, complained, and he's. We get to the tennis courts, and he's like, "How am I going to play this sport? I can't even hold a racket and push the chair at the same time. Come on, this is ridiculous. This is a dumb thing." And then he looks over, and he's like, "What are they doing to that guy?" And my uh, friend Leslie said, "Hey, they're taping up his hand, and he's going to go against you." And as soon as my hand was taped up, I took the ball whacked it right at him and i said what did you say para and he got he's like oh uh, give it to me you know he took that racket and got on the other side of the net and he's just like trying his hardest to to beat me and he just oh and from then on you know and i think at the end of the day and this is his slogan and he always i always love it because he says i got this from bobby rohan is he said never say never i love it from yeah, and he went on to play wheelchair hockey um, uh, for a long time. And he's like, you know, it was like when I got to play hockey, I put it back to the day I met Bobby that how to hold a tennis racket is the same way I'm going to hold this stick. And, and so, and, you know, and now he's big time peer mentor. Uh, he has this book that he shows everybody with pictures of me, water skiing and snow skiing. So that those are two other things that I've tried. Um, water skiing didn't turn out as lovely as I wanted to. Um, I broke my femur, oh, I think man. in 89 doing it or 88 or no, 98 or 97, something like that. Yikes. And uh, yeah, spiral fracture my femur. Oh. And snow skiing was great. I loved it because I used to snow ski up in Oregon and um the first like six years we'd go like twice three times a year and I was just like take me up to the top I don't want to do the outriggers you just be right behind me and we're going to go down the steepest and they trusted me because I knew how to ski so I knew all the moves that you have to do and right. when to do your turns I mean they're like yeah you know I don't mind doing that for you and I felt like I was skiing I, I can't see the guy behind me but I'm doing the moves that I felt like I was doing before. Right. And then eventually it's like, Ooh, that was a hard day on my back. Ooh, it's a little bit colder than, than I remember. And finally, I think my last time skiing, I did one run in the morning and I said, eh, let me take a break. It is cold out here. I'm going to go inside. I think I had a shot of, you know, um, what's that cinnamon one, maybe fireball, fireball I think. or something. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. I think it was, but it, it wasn't fireball. It wasn't popular yet, but it was a cinnamon schnapps or something like that. Uh -huh. You know, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to go out in the afternoon. We had some lunch and I was like, now nah. I, I think I got outside. And I was like, too cold. <laughs> I'm done. Huh? Yeah. So yeah. I did the, you know, the snow skiing and water skiing as well, but really rugby was the only thing. And hand cycling, you know, was, I think I gave away my hand cycle the racing chair, you know, I uh, sat around for a long time until I think I gave it away somewhere along the line. Um, uh, tennis. I did tennis as when I was at Moore Park College. I call it Moore Park High, my community college. I, I wanted to do um, 
want to be maybe like a health teacher or something to do with, you know, your health. And, um, and so I needed a, a, a PE or I forget what they called it in college, but, um, I went and did, I went to the tennis, uh, class and asked the teacher like, Hey, if I sign up with, uh, am I allowed to play with everyone? He's like, and I think it was tennis 101. And he's like, well, what do you need? And I said, all I need is, oh, what's the rules for wheelchair tennis? He said, I said, I get two bounces and everything else is the same. He's like, sure, why not? And the first day I brought my tennis chair and my equipment and people, you know, I'm like, excuse me, can you help me um, uh, take this out of my car? They did. Like, can you now help me get in it? And by the end of the semester, you know, they all would be waiting for me because I'd have to drive down from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill where the tennis courts were. Um, and I'd open on my back and I'm transferring and the tennis chair is all ready for me. Then they just pop me in and uh, start taping up my racket to my hand. And, you know, they, they awesome. loved it. That's awesome. Yeah, they, they, they embraced it and loved to have me on their team. They're like, because I had always like, I'm going to stay way back here for the second bounce. <laughs> so everybody always wanted me on their team. Like, I got Bobby. He gets that second great. bounce. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, Yeah, you know, like, so switching gears a little bit, Bobby, I wanted to talk about, I know you um, had mentioned uh, peer mentoring. Uh, like, how did you get involved with, I, I guess, the no barriers, uh, K-N-O-W barriers? Uh, yeah. peer mentoring program um you know what yeah what made you want to start did you have a peer mentor when you were kind of going through uh the pro the you know rehabilitation program and you know what yeah how'd you get involved and and talk about that process sure I didn't have a peer mentor in the hospital I had through three roommates through my six months all Paris and um uh, which was great. I loved it. There was, you know, a couple quads across the way. Um, one, I, you know, nice kid, nice guy, a little bit older than me and um, had a tough time with it. He was, he had the C4, um, C5, and he was a big guy, um, just thick. And so um, I knew I was a little bit different. Then there was another quad, a husband, four kids. His accident happened on the same day as me. Wow. And he took off, man. He was he was in a manual chair pushing around. Uh, within three months, he was out of there pushing a chair. And I felt like I was doing something wrong. And then that's when I discovered, you know, from my therapist, like, no, he's a 6'7", C6'7", you're a 5'6". He's got triceps, you don't. And I'm like, it still went compute, uh, compute in my head. But that's where I was like, that's, this is, I got to try harder. I'm not trying hard enough. And I was very hard on myself. Um, with my athletics and without, like I would go find um, my running coach. I, you know, I found the angriest guy that was more disciplined and yell at me and make me work harder than the, you know, okay, we're going to do this and this. No, I wanted the guy to scream at me like, dude, you're not trying hard enough. So that's how it was. <laughs> I didn't have anybody, you know, I had a, a friend of mine. They had a, a gentleman in come, come talk to me. It was a para doing racing chair, uh, race, wheelchair racing, um, loved it, but you know, 
he was probably a, a T12 L something, um, real tall, but real nice. And, uh, you know, but I'm like, but that's just doesn't feel practical to me. Yeah. So I never really had that care mentor. And then I get out of the hospital in that October and November comes and I get a phone call from my therapist and she's like, Hey, we have a new guy. His name is Adam. He went to the same school as you. And he just, I believe it was rock climbing. And um, he has a similar injury injury like you. It turned out it was six, seven, C six, seven. And um, would you like to come talk to him? I was like, absolutely. And that's where peer mentoring for me began. I And so from there, every time there was a quad, I would go in and talk to them. And then eventually I was volunteering with the uh, rec department. So rec recreational was my volunteer spot. I would be there, I think, twice a week for a couple hours, helping out with patients, um, whoever they were, brain injury, stroke, spinal cord, playing games. Um, and it was kind of like a therapy to me as well, um, doing these things um, and learning more about me, but learning about others and doing a lot of listening. And, you know, it's, you know, it's easy to go in as a peer mentor and say everything's going to be okay. That's not what they want to hear. No, they just want somebody to, to understand, but not bring it and feed it down that, uh, down their throat. So you're going to be okay. Look at me, what, what I'm doing now. No, you're just there. You know, you already presented that because you've come in and um, they see a healthy person. They see somebody that it has a smile and somebody that is now continuing to live with an injury. A disability yeah. all the other stuff will come along they just need somebody to talk to and watch i have more guys that always used to come up to me every year at the abilities expo in la and they're like do you remember me a lot of times yes a lot of times no um because i meet so i was meeting so many at different hospitals that they're like i watched you how you did this I watched you, how you open a door. I watched you, you know, that's where for me, modeling was the key thing. Right. So I, you know, I continued to do that. Um, and I started volunteering um, and became a board member of a nonprofit called um, WINGS. And that standed for when you need group support. We had a grant program. Uh, that you can get something up to maybe fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, we had support groups that we had started, like at Northridge. Um, we didn't start the Northridge group; that was already run, and it was run by a, a great psychologist. Um, but we did one. We started one in Santa Barbara. Um, we started one in LA, and at Casa Colina. So we were doing all these support groups. Um, and we were doing peer mentor, peer, peer mentoring. So we would get a call and I would go drive out to their house. And so I was running around. And then in the meantime, I'm having, you know, a full-time job as well, working, you know, eight to five selling wheelchairs. Um, wow. you know, my first job I was at school, I was having a tough time because 
that's where I learned that I had dyslexia. Um, a study partner, she's like, listening to me read, she's like, oh my God, you're just like me. And I'm like, uh, what? She's like, you have dyslexia, it's so bad. Can you retain anything you just read? I'm like, not really. She's like, follow me. We're going to the disabled student's office and you're going to get into these great classes. And so I did that for one semester. And on the summer, I wanted off and went to the wheelchair shop and said, can I, you know, get a job here? And he goes, what can you do? And I'm like, I don't know. But if you hire me, you won't regret it. And within three months, I was starting to go to um, places and helping people in the office selling chairs and measuring. And, you know, that's where it took off. But in the meantime, I was volunteering, helping out with support groups. My boss happened to become the uh, president of the nonprofit. And um, so it made it easy when I would say, yeah, I got this to do, you know, like the last hour. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Um, so you really just kind of dove into every, like, kind of way you could connect with other, other people. Yeah. Yeah. I would, wheelchairs at the time. I would say that's how my life has always been like a wave and, you know, um, and my wife even, you know, she's like, when you get into something, you get into it hard, you know, and, and sometimes it rides for a long time and sometimes it doesn't, um, and which, you know, sometimes drives her crazy because. I get all into it. And then, you know, next thing you know, she's like, now what, what are we doing now? You know, now we're doing this. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. Can't keep up with you. So that's funny. Um, yeah. And. So, yeah, I'm curious, uh, Bobby, I was re- looking at the um, staying driven website last night. Yeah. Um, that's attached to your Instagram page. Uh-huh. Um like what what is that all so i know you're you're kind okay. of like a, a coach uh helping coach people yeah uh, with their workouts but like talk about what that what what exactly uh staying driven is and, and kind of how you got involved with those guys yeah well i'll finish up the peer mentoring and get into that because okay, okay. it was you know with the wings and everything towards um and I, i'm not exactly sure what year it was I think like in 2000, I had just moved out here um, or 2002 and we were struggling with board members, keeping everything going. Um, I wasn't as close to help out at the office here and there. And so um, we handed it off to Andrew Skinner from Triumph Foundation. He said he was starting to do something great. We, I can see it. You know, I was like, he's going to do something great with this nonprofit. Triumph so wings basically just transferred over into being the triumph foundation we didn't transfer i wouldn't say it because i would give more credit for andrew starting his okay we just gave him the some footprints you know okay. here would you want to take these support groups over and do peer mentoring more yes yes and he took that off you know and we have this grant program and we have this remaining money you want to start dealing with it. So that's where nowadays Andrew has a grant program and he was always going to start it anyway. Um, He just got a little push and some of the grants, one of the grants we got, he continues to get. So it was just an automatic push. And And so what year was it? Like what year did you start wings? And then what year did, did Andrew kind of take over? 
it was around 2002, 2003, okay. um, if I'm not mistaken. And then in that time, um, uh, I helped out a little bit, do some fundraisers with them, helped out with the first um, uh, fundraising that we did. It was poker, obviously. Um, yeah, I think our last fundraiser for Wings was a poker tournament. I won it. And then our second poker tournament at um, Triumph Foundation, I think I won it. So there you, you know, go. Like You're a ringer over here. Yeah. And that was, you know, when I talk about my ways, poker, for me, I had a wave of that, you know, for five years when the internet uh, craze was going on and right. this moneymaker effect, you know, I caught that wave and it was fun. I loved it. And my, I grew up as a kid with grandma playing poker a lot, you know, cards and everything. And my grandma, uh, she was, uh, she was, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a beast when it came to cards. Uh -huh. And, you know, here you are, you bring up in Oregon, you collected cans that were, you know, you get five cents for and bottles, 10 cents. So every time, you know, through the week or two weeks, it would be before we went and saw grandma. Uh, I collect as much change as we can. You bring it to the table and you play cards with the adults. Huh. And there's only one rule. If you cry, you're never playing with us again. So when your money is gone and you're sitting there wanting to do the sniffles, mm -mm. don't do it. So, yeah. And you bring to the table because then I'd be like, grandma, can I borrow another $2? I mean, that's what we were playing for. Two to $5, I think. Right. Like, no, no, you don't have the money. Well, I, I'm not, and so that's where I learned discipline for, you know, my money and my gambling, um, which helped. But in the meantime, I was helping out with another foundation called Rouse Riders that Meyer Fornos uh, had started after her husband had passed away. I helped her husband with a chair and got to know those two for, um, and was really, you know, devastated when he had passed away. And so she wanted to do this, um, wanted me to be a part of it. I was like, absolutely anything for Ralph. And so I helped out them for a short time. And on our board was this gal called, uh, called, her name was Amy, uh, Amy McKnight, and she was a social worker at Rancho. And I had started hearing stories uh, of things of uh, no barriers because a rugby player uh, started it with the coach of Rancho, who I, I happen to know. And I used to send her our, uh, we used to go down to Rancho and do some peer mentoring, but it was always like gates closed unless you're really invite, invited. So it was very hard to get in there. And then I heard that they started their own in-house peer mentoring because Rancho had a lot of people, you know, go in there selling drugs. So then it, they became a policy of, you know, can't go in there for sales, or just selling anything. Um, you know, these guys would think they can sell catheters and they went in there thinking, uh, oh, I'll sell to these guys. And not only were they probably selling catheters, they were also selling everything anything else under the sun and they caught wind of that so it was a lockdown you know for a rancho to get in there but they started their own you know in-house and at first it wasn't peer mentoring program it was a life coaching program and one of the guys jake kramer and a couple others said hey now that we've been life coach we want to come back and give so that's how their peer mentoring started and then they finally got where the city was going to fund the program and people were actually going to get a paycheck 
for going and volunteering. Oh. Uh, and so now their program is about to take off. They need a supervisor. And I get a phone call. And I have been off work for maybe two years, taking, you know, helping out with the family stuff. Uh, my wife was working like a dog. And so I was doing all the the mommy stuff for um, groceries, dry cleaning, you know, taking her stepson here or there. Um, you know, it was just so that's what I did. I, I took care of the house, you know, made sure that I didn't get dinner ready, but I made sure that um, everything else was ready for her to cook up if she was going to cook. So uh, no barriers called uh, Amy and Bobby said, hey, can we take you to dinner? I'm like, oh, they want me to be a part of that program. Oh, that's cool. And at the end of dinner, all of a sudden, I'm like, you're offering me a job as a supervisor for this? I'm actually going to get paid now for this? Wow. They're like, yeah, you start out at it. I can't remember where I started. I think I started out at $12 an hour. Nice. I was just like blown away. Like, And I said, I don't, my body can't take working full time. And they're like, what do you want to work? And I said, Monday through Thursday, 10 to 4. Done. That's and I worked, and I worked, you know, a little bit more here and there. And I could, and, but the, the key thing is, you know, I sat down with my wife and she said, you know, it would be my third time getting off SSDI and which is fine. And I had no problems beforehand making good money, but now it was like, I'm not working as much because I, I'm listening to my body, but how can I do both? Well, I went to my social security office because I heard people are doing this and they said yep you can make up to this amount which i think it was fifteen hundred dollars and then any a penny over uh you're gonna get cut off so you cannot go over that right. so i turned in hours that i would get paid like fourteen hundred and ninety eight dollars um so uh, I worked at Rancho being right a up to it. <laughs> supervisor for 10 years and wow. helped, you know, supervisors, train supervisors from spinal cord injury to brain injury to stroke um, to all sorts of other disabilities that we brought in, amputee, um, uh, spinal bifida. So um, it was an honor and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And then the pandemic hits. I come home, I'm working from home and I love it. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, I don't think I can go back. My health had been starting to decline and I had a lot of problems here and there with pneumonia, bad UTIs. And I just said, now after this pandemic and go back and wear a mask and worry about germs all day. Mm, no, I can't do this. But the pandemic happens and this is where staying driven comes into play. I, you know, I was sort of off work for two months until I said, we need to start like support groups online. And that I started our support groups online here, um, which I feel like it was a big honor for me and helped Triumph do the same. So we started the, the, pure, uh, the support groups online through Zoom. And, you know, but also I had a lot of time to, check out YouTube. And I found uh, Ben Clark, 
um, not, I, uh, oh, I'm going to draw a blank. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> he had an exercise. He's a UK guy. Okay. Oh, my God. I can't believe um, I'm drawing a blank on him. That sucks. I'll think of it. But okay. I, I started his. I saw that he was doing live exercise and people were in the chat. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm actually, I'm liking this. Mm -hmm. I feel good. That made me feel good. And I had seen a couple of his videos he had done, you know, after I got sick uh, with bad UTIs or pneumonia, when I got back home, I would do a couple of his taped ones. And so people were in the chat, uh, chatting away. And I, I was, hooked and then they had a saturday you know if you paid the membership of three dollars or ten dollars you can get in on their their zoom on saturday so i met people from all over the world you know from portugal to the uk to canada some people in the us it was awesome i was loving it and you know now here comes this wave of exercising at home um getting back into it and me and another guy um, up in Canada uh, started doing uh, more together. And then I start, I, I finally uh, discovered staying driven. And I said, Paul, they're doing this every day live because Ben had started uh, cutting it down to like, I think twice a week for the live workouts. And we wanted more um, because when he wasn't live, Paul and I were doing it at home are with the guys that were our regulars were like, join our, our zoom. And we do it at nine o'clock the same time. And then when he was live, we'd join him live. So we wanted more. And when I discovered staying driven, I said to Paul, this is a great, great Avenue for us to, to switch over to. And we did. And eventually she's like, you guys should be coaches. I'm going to send you to a, a, a course where you can get your certificate to, to do this stuff. And so we went through that and next thing I know, I'm a coach coaching four or five classes a week. Man, they were, you know, they always, they said everybody uh, after the, when the pandemic was going on, like you're either going to hustle harder or you're going to kind of fall by the wayside. It sounds like you definitely start hustling harder, Bobby. I, I rediscovered myself. I was miserable just before the pandemic. Man, that, that's um, I didn't want to work at, I loved Rancho, but you know, there was people at times coming in, you know, sick. And, you know, we were on a contract at Rancho. So if you don't work, you don't get paid. And, you know, you don't, you don't have, you know, any time off. Your time off was non-pay. So if you wanted a week off, you don't get paid. So, so some people still came in and I'm like, what are you doing here, sick? They're like, I, I can't afford the time off. And it's just like, I as well, stay away from me. Yeah. And this is before we're wearing masks, you know, and I'm just right. Like, and and I think just before the pandemic, I was coming in, like wiping down my station, like because other people would use it. I'm like just disinfecting it all. Just like, I, I oh, this is this this is driving me crazy. Yeah, that and must so, have been so stressful right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, my yeah, I was weak. I was like barely making it through the day. I had some stomach issues where I finally got the colost colostomy bag, which was a blessing. Uh, I was like, oh my God, why didn't I do a colostomy 
right after my accident. You know, it, and I bought it for five, eight years. My wife's like, just do it. You're you're so miserable doing your bowel program, bleeding, and your blood pressure dropping, um, right. sweating, and then you don't feel good the rest of the day. So, um, yeah, tell me, I should have, you know, obviously, if you're married out there, listen to your wife. Right. <laughs> That's what I have to say. So. Yeah, me, no. you know, I did bad and you know, still just just couldn't get into a groove, wasn't exercising anymore. So that's when the pandemic hit, you know, everyone's miserable. And I'm like, I love this. This is fun. I can, you know, I don't have to drive everywhere. I can do right. mentoring from home, now these support groups from home, exercise from home. I had all this energy now. And then my friend Paul had, you know, you're asking me about hand cycling. He had a hand uh, hand cycle he got that attaches to his wheelchair. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it's electric. So I'm like, maybe this might work out for me. I put in a grant through Kelly Brush Foundation, got it, got the full amount. And then, you know, my friends at Triumph, you know, bless their souls with their grant, you know, said, yep, yeah, we'll help you out with the rest. And next thing I know, I have a striker hand bike. And I couldn't use it for a a year because of a I had a um discovered a uh abscess on my bottom. Oh crap. I had surgery, they drained it, it closed up except one little pinhole. One little pinhole. Went back to the surgeon and he goes, I'm afraid that you might your bone might be infected. That's why it's probably draining. Uh, and so we did another surgery he opened me up got down in there no infection the bone was not infected the area around the whole sore was not infected he closes it up and two days later it opened up now i sit down you know lay down in bed for six months and go through the rigmarole of you know, trying to do stuff on my side, on my iPad. I couldn't stand it. You know, got back into my miserable self. And then um, here I had a hand cycle I can't use. And finally got moved over to UCI wound care. He comes in and he goes, that's a chronic wound. Stop laying around. Go live your life. And okay. Started doing that a little bit. And then just this past... uh I, almost a year ago, I got COVID in December. And then, of course, I, I'm i the one that always gets the complication stuff. So then in the whole month of January, I'm like, you know, telling everybody, like, I have no energy, like nothing. And they're like, that's the COVID, that's COVID, that's COVID. You know, the drawback of getting COVID. I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. I feel like I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And eventually they just, you know, one day I go in for... Um, through uh, 911 and they discovered all this fluid that built up around my heart. And the surgeon said, you have the second most fluid around the heart that I've ever seen of a person living. How you were living, I have no understanding. You know, you shouldn't have been alive. So when he comes into the ER and goes, I'm taking your surgery right away. You're gonna die any minute now if we don't get this fluid off. Um, you know, so. Here I am in February, recovering from this. 
uh, recovering, recovering from three weeks in the hospital. And when, you know, I fought it, but my wife's like, you got to go to rehab or I'm going to, th- this can't be, I can't take care of you like this. You've, you're so weak now. And finally, I, I got it at the last second, went to a, a great little rehab for two weeks, small, more stroke than anything. They see some spinal cord, but, you know, I blossomed there like I did, you know, just took my mindset just like back 34 years ago. And next thing you know, get my bike set up. I start pushing again. That's another love I have, always going to the beach and push. Um, So here I am today, you know, a board member of Triumph Foundation. Um, I'm actually the um, chairman of the board, which is scary. And running now, they're um, helping out with their grant program, kind of um, sorting them all out, vetting them, putting everything together for the board to review. And if we accept, I um, call them with the good news or bad news or email them and have to go through the work of them getting me all the stuff that I need so we can buy this because we won't send you the cash. We have to do it the other way through the company. Um, I'm the coach for staying driven. I'm hand cycling and, you know, what else do I do? Yeah, I know. Uh, the the one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I know I'm and sorry to keep you on for so long, Bobby. But no, this um, is great. Yeah, I feel no, like I'm going on for you. I'm having a great time, man. This is awesome. Uh, but I wanted to know how did you connect with? You mentioned him earlier, Sean Fluke, uh, and the and the Live to Roll uh, kind of family there. How did you how did you get started with them? Um, I yeah. know Sean. I guess got kind of I got think got things like really going during during COVID as well. Um, but yeah, talk about connecting with Sean and, and have you known him for a while? Um, how did you guys connect and, and kind of start doing the podcast? Yeah. Um, for those, I just remembered it, it always takes me a couple of minutes, but, uh, Ben Clark from adapt to perform on YouTube. Okay. If you want to get started with exercising, that's one avenue. Or if you want to look up staying driven live, that's another, but, okay. uh, funny thing with Sean, uh, uh, a little bit of history I was one of the first guys um, to go into his hospital room and visit him when he first got injured. Oh, wow. Uh, I just happened to be at Northridge that day. You know, of course they said, there's this young kid, got hurt snowboarding. Can you go visit with him? So soft, Sean. Uh, and I think I saw him a couple of times. I was making the drive from uh, Huntington Beach all the way up to Northridge, which is like an hour and a half. And because I had just moved down here, or we just bought our house. My, my, and at the time we were only dating. We weren't even engaged yet. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I meet Sean and we have uh, towards the end of his, it happened to be right like a week before he was going to get out of the hospital. Um, we have an open, uh, no, we have a party for our wedding of the people we couldn't invite. That's what it was. And I told his therapist, bring Sean down. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So he brings Sean down and Sean comes to my like little wedding party that we have here. And he's got the neck brace on and everything. Um, Him and his mom came. So 
that's how I know Sean and, and you know, that's got cool. to meet, you know, try to get Sean into quad rugby. Nope. He wouldn't have any of it. And I turn around and the next thing you know, Sean is in rugby, uh, has these, uh, videos going up on YouTube. I am so proud of him. You've been a little jealous. Like, look at this wave he caught. I, I'm like, I wish I would have thought of that, but you know, I'm going to leave it up to him. He's doing it way better than I am. So yeah, he's doing I'll let him do it, you know? Job. And so I've known Sean and then it happened to be the last expo before the Billy's expo, a good friend of his, um, that he's known for a long time. I think they dated a little bit, but, um, she's a sweetheart. I've known her as just as long as I've known Sean and, the Friday after we went to dinner and she or for drinks and she's telling me John wants to do something with his YouTube channel. He's, he's put everything up that he can of the stuff he, he does. What can he do? And if I remember it, that's how it went. But, and I think Sean might have a different, but that's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. And I think we were just talking about um, getting, you know, maybe some live stuff going. And because there was another one called Push Rim that my friends uh, Rape of Sorrow and Richard Bell started. And I love that little setup. They recorded it and then put it out and edited it. And I told Sean, maybe you want to do something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Next thing you know, pandemic hits. He calls me and goes, I'm figuring out how we can go live on YouTube. You want to join me and uh tom i'm like sure why not i got got nothing else to do here (laughs) you know i'm exercising a little bit and working part-time very little because there's not much to do from home from you know for your job sure and that's how it started and you know sean stuck with me and the times that you know i had some health issues here and there um i didn't get on every week when i was laying down with the sore but Tuesdays, I would try to get up for at least a couple hours and uh, do the show as best I can. And, you know, still doing it today. And over time, I was like, these are a little bit younger guys. And then that's where I broke off or told Sean, hey, do you mind if on Thursdays when the women are not live, that maybe I start my own thing with my friend Robert, who's been in a chair now for 50 years, wow. that we can do a show called like, I don't know, Aging with Disability. We named it Rolling Over the Hill, you know, for guys that age with a disability. But it also works for those who are five years, three years to learn some of the do's and don'ts and what your body is going to do to change with a spinal cord injury. Your bowel program changes, your um, bladder changes, your body, you know, might have more spasms or more pain. Um Things to look overuse of your shoulders, overuse of your body. Um, and then, you know, we have other topics and guests of interesting people who've been in a chair for a while. Nice. Uh, yeah, that that's very cool. That's very cool, Bobby. Um, and yes, and when, so you guys are on, how many, is it every other week that the women's show is on? Yeah, so the, the women, show? so Live to Roll, where it's Sean, Tom and myself, we're on every Tuesday at uh, 3.30 Pacific Standard Time. And then the women are the first and third Thursday at three. And then we're the second and fourth 
uh, Thursday at 3.30. Um, women like to be half an hour before us, but um, I know they get on right at the, the right at three. All, all four of them always usually join uh, Brianna. And that's just like, because I, I run the, the um, help Sean fill in for Sean as the back guy. And like, where's everybody? It's three. And then pop, 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 pop. Okay, we're ready. Let's go. I'm like, that's you know, where the guys, we always join like 10, 15 minutes early, you know, joke around That's with fun. each other yeah <laughs> um well yeah you know we'll uh, definitely put up links to the to the show um i'll put you know like i'll uh, put the link for the triumph foundation and for uh the staying driven and all of that as well but man Thank bobby you. rohan i appreciate you uh coming on and telling us your story man it's a fascinating for sure and uh you know, it's good to see somebody that's, you know, you're about nine years further along in your injury than I am and see you in such good shape and, and in such good spirits, man. It's a, it's definitely inspiring. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing with us. Yeah, no problem. I'm sorry. I, I've listened to your podcast many times and notice everybody's about an hour and I think we're now a little way over the hour so oh hey man it was it, it, we I, I feel like there there was there was no uh lulls in the energy man it felt good um yeah i think it's a lot of great information so i think people are going to get quite a bit off of it uh, you know out of listening to your your uh story so i appreciate you so much man yeah jeremy thank you for having me on and um also thank you for what you do it's it's similar to what lift and roll does and letting people learn from everybody. Like I was saying, you know, I learned from quad rugby guys that were doing stuff. But I think nowadays when we can just with a click and listen to somebody else and what they, how their life and how they thought helps them learn something like, oh, this guy does his leg back without doing, or if somebody heard, I now have a colostomy after so long, you know, like I've been thinking of that. But if he says it's the greatest thing that, you know, and, you know, all your other guests that you've had, um, people have learned from that. And I, I applaud you for um, the many, the many I, I, I've scrolled your uh, podcast and like, wow, he's done a lot of people and a lot of fascinating people that I've never even heard of. And um, so I applaud you for that and keep up the great work, Jeremy. Well, it's the same to you, same to you, Bobby. I appreciate the uh, the kind words, man. The check is in the mail. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, really do appreciate that. Um, yeah, and and you guys are the same way, man. I'm I'm I think that we, uh, you know, I think what we're what we're all doing, kind of as a collective, is definitely helping. You know, helping especially people that are newly injured, uh, kind of have an outlet or a. a a space to go to to kind of yeah to get tips and things like that like you had mentioned so um yeah yeah thank, thank you. you guys for what you're doing and and yeah thanks again for coming on i know i need to get tom on now uh that's i think he's the yeah. last of the live to roll the live to roll crew that i haven't had on the show so um but yeah bobby thank you man we'll definitely be uh be in touch here yeah you're welcome thanks so much all right all right, that was Bobby Rohan. I appreciate his time and and telling us his story. I mean, he yeah, we we got into it from from you know, the early years up through COVID. injury, through COVID, everything. I mean, yeah. um just yeah, like this guy does everything. He works with the Triumph Foundation, um you know, the, which is a which is such a great organization. He's he's uh 
he's been with them. I know, I think Sean Fluke works with them a bit too. Like all, all those guys with uh, Live to Roll. And yeah, I mean, the Triumph Foundation is awesome. Really like salute those guys and the work they're doing. Um, but yeah, man, Bobby, like what a, like hell of a story, man. Like I, know. I, I really enjoyed uh, our conversation. Like the guy, like he just, it was like just BSing with an old friend, you know? Well, you know what I really like was that when he's out and he goes and to events and people come up to him and go, yeah, he doesn't necessarily remember those people, but he had an impact on their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's huge. Um, Absolutely. Anybody in any industry, but especially in this one where you can bring somebody out of maybe um, depression or despair, thinking their life will never be any, any, you know, livable, but he just shows that, you know, whatever you put your mind to, you can do it. And, uh, and, you know, he's had a lot of, uh, successes, especially as an athlete. And I think like it would have killed a lesser person, his heart condition (laughs) that he had. I mean, cause I have heart issues and when they said they had, you know, the fluid around the heart, it was like, Oh yeah. I think he spent some time in the hospital right around the same time as I did with the, with the ulcer that had burst. And, um, Cause when Sean, your ulcer, your ulcer. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I had my ulcer, um, cause Sean had reached, I think we were supposed to do, I was supposed to do his, their podcast, like leading up to me ending up in the hospital. And then I was like, Hey, we're going to have to postpone it. And then obviously I ended up in there for six more weeks. So it, uh, was kind of crazy, but, um, yeah, I love what those guys are doing over there. Um, at live to roll they're they're uh definitely awesome and if you guys don't already listen to their podcast you should go check it out too so tuesdays at three right yep and then and then they have the uh the i forget what he called it like the the not senior citizen oh yeah 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 yeah. the Uh, older guys over the hill over rolling down the hill rolling down the hill or something yeah yeah yeah. uh, yeah. They have that every other, I think, whatever the all opposite of the the Liberal Women's Show is. So, yeah, yeah they're uh, they have a good good team over there. Uh, Brianna that I've had on the podcast, and uh, Tom's the next one I'm gonna have to reach out to to get him on the show. So, yeah, I think it was great, and you know, um, accolades to you, Jeremy, for bringing all these people together. Um, I really really respect what you do here um and i'm happy that you let me be a part of this oh um, man thanks you know because um, he said it, it he said it and i thought about it on the way over here and you know we do have a lot of interesting guests um not only people that have been injured but some of the doctors and stuff like that and you know as long as we can get the word out to the community and get people to listen so spread the word everybody yeah, please <laughs> listen like rate review share all of that stuff we uh we definitely appreciate all the help we can get get moving this podcast forward um and just you know trying to find a cure for paralysis and that's what it all boils down to right yep and so i won't go on anymore because it's been a long interview (laughs) but uh thank you everybody for listening yeah yeah thanks everybody and uh next week we have another great guest uh it'll be aaron baker uh is on the show i just recorded an interview with him uh, a couple days ago and i'm excited for that one to come out as well and yeah i mean just uh we're gonna keep keep grinding here and and pushing forward to 2024 and beyond talk to you guys next week yeah have a good week everyone